I received a phone call from the commanding officer for the New Brunswick RCMP. He just said there's been an incident. He said the timing is really bad. That's what he said a couple of times, that this is just bad timing. And I'm just thinking, when is it good timing to shoot and kill somebody? That's Bill Ward, chief of Metamonagiog First Nation in New Brunswick, home of the latest fatal police shooting of a First Nations victim. He's our guest this week on our Akamema podcast. I'm your host, Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Tanse and Tawau, welcome to the Akamemuk Podcast. Akamemuk is a Cree word for you all persevere, or in other words, keep going and don't give up. On this podcast, we discuss the leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, elders, and community leaders. And right now, a leading issue is police racism and violence. It seems like a week doesn't go by without a First Nations person either being killed or abused at the hands of police. The latest victim is Rodney Levi from the Metapanagiag First Nation, who was shot dead last Friday by a New Brunswick RCMP officer. To discuss this incident and what needs to change in relations between police and First Nations is Metapanagiag Chief Bill Ward. Welcome, Chief. Uh, thank you for having me today, Chief. So one of the first things I wanted to get into right off, tell us your understanding of how Rodney Levi was shot and killed. So on last Friday, Rodney was out and about in the community for the most of the day. It seemed like everybody had seen him. He, he even stopped in at my house earlier in the afternoon, which was kind of normal for him to come and say hi or come and ask for help. Or He was in good spirits. Uh, later on that evening, he went to go see the pastor, of uh, a church that he attends, uh, Boom Road Pentecostal Church. The pastor obviously welcomed him in. At some point during the dinner, uh, Rodney became uh, uh, distressed, going through some stuff mentally, obviously suffering. He started, uh, you know, being a little paranoid and things like that. He never threatened anybody in the house or anything like that. I, I did talk to the pastor and more or less he was distressed and they kind of just wanted, you know, he, it was time for him to, to, to kind of go home and maybe get some rest or something. And uh, So the police were called and when they showed up, basically they said he had knives, uh, plural. From my understanding, he had them in his pocket of his sweater, mm-hmm. which is more or less kind of like he never brandished it at anybody in the house from what I'm hearing. He, it was more like of a defensive thing because he was he was in distress and he was a little paranoid uh, when the cops arrived they had known about he had this knife on him so they uh, began trying to get him I guess under arrest they deployed their stun guns multiple times from what I heard which were effective at some points during the altercation uh, from the eyewitness that I spoke to um, Rodney did seem willing to get in the car when they first arrived mm-hmm. from what uh, an eyewitness told me. He just wanted to finish the cigarette and get in the car, which kind of makes it uh, even crazier to me. So uh, they uh, tasered him three times and, and then he got up and from what I, the eyewitness told me, took a step forward and then they shot him twice in the chest and he died, uh, he died on the, on, right on the scene there. That, that's so terrible. Uh, Because the way you describe it, like he was also willing to go. 
When you heard that he was killed, what was your reaction to it? So I, I received a phone call from the commanding officer for the New Brunswick RCMP. Probably like 20, 30 minutes, they say, after it happened. But the reported times are kind of out, out of loop from what I'm hearing and seeing. So anyways, he called me and he, he just said there's been an incident. And when he told me that, I figured it was something bad because, you know, he never calls me. And the RCMP never called me to tell me somebody's in trouble or anything like that for the most part. So he he explained to me uh, from his knowledge what had happened. And, um, you know, the, the talk to me was kind of cold on his part. It was kind of dehumanizing for Rodney. I was kind of in shock. Um, like I said, Rodney was just at my house. I've, I've known Rodney my entire life. He's, he's a few years older than me. He lives on the same road as me here. So, uh, you know, it was shocking to me that he died in this way. It was a lot of different thoughts. So it was kind of listening to the to the CEO go on and he was worried about the backlash from the community. He was worried about the public relations, obviously in the image of the RCMP. He was fearful of uh, an agenda being pushed because of this. And as the more I think about it in the conversation I had with him, the more uh, crazy it just seems to me. And it's just so dehumanizing to him that this was just an incident for him. And uh, they were trying to get ahead of it before um, any media picked it up. And, you know, yeah. he said the timing is really bad. That's what he said a couple of times. The timing is, this is just bad timing. And I'm just thinking it's like, when is it good timing to shoot and kill somebody? I just let him know. I said at the end of the conversation, I said, oh, well, I, I can't tell you anything right now. I said, Rodney was a friend of mine. Um, he's a community member for years. Uh, I can't yeah. really, I can't really say much. I said, I'm really, I'm really shocked. I don't know what to say. And then I think he got the cue that I didn't really want to uh, talk with him any further. And then uh, I come to find mm -hmm. out later on that um, the family found out through uh, an eyewitness rather than the police. They had called me first to tell me before they called contact of most of the family, which was kind of crazy to me because, like I said, they were trying to make sure that the uh, image of the RCMP and the incident was was paramount to, to the entire incident. And like I said, pretty sickening and dehumanizing for, for Rodney. Let's talk more about Rodney. Like, Who was he and what was he like? Um, Rodney was just, he's just a friendly, friendly guy, man. He's, uh, he's very polite. You know, he'd, he'd say hi to everybody. He knew everybody. He would, he would, if you seen you out doing yard work, he would come over and just start helping you, you know, just for something to do. Rake or mow or shovel, whatever. It didn't matter. If he'd just seen you and he needed help, he'd come and help you. And he would never ask for anything. Like, he just wanted to do it just for something to do and just to be a good guy. And, you know, he wasn't a very big, big man. Like, he wasn't intimidating whatsoever. He was probably about 120 pounds, 130 pounds, um, he didn't have a deep voice or he didn't have any mannerisms that would I would consider uh, intimidating whatsoever. And if you see mm -hmm. all the pictures of him online, on Facebook, he's never without a smile, always with his nieces and nephews and his family and the, and the young ones in his family. He had a very close relationship with them all. And um, obviously, uh, Rodney had, had some uh, suffered with evictions. That's that's no secret. Like a lot of our people in our First Nations communities, um, mm -hmm. uh, the people that are, that deal with addictions every now and know that it's a mental illness, and um, you just never know when your mental illness will hit you, and you go into a into a feeling of distress. But 
like I said, he was just a really good guy and uh, found a violent bone in his body and he would help anybody whenever he could. So Yeah, no, he sounds like a very special individual that was just having some mental health issues and challenges that day. Mm-hmm. Now, Chief Bill, the, the um, policing in your community, how does this incident fit into the any kind of pattern of policing in your First Nation? We used to have the band constable program in our in our community, which was you know which is granted under the Indian Act, and um, we used to have funding attached to that. That that's no longer the case. That was to, taken from us. But uh, when we did have the band constable program, we had our own constables in the community, and they worked well side by side with the RCMP. They were always there for calls in the community, which helped really dif- diffuse a lot of situations and just from my experience alone i've seen a lot crazier things than what had happened with rodney that day you know i've seen things that could have escalated even worse but it was handled properly what i had noticed about the rcmp lately especially in our area is that there's been a lot of new recruits uh, new transfers coming over from different parts of the country um, not really getting a chance or opportunity to come and meet and know a lot of people in the community like some of the veteran mm-hmm. officers would to give you an example, um, there was an incident the day before Rodney had uh, been shot. Uh, a lady in our community was uh, was in distress. She was threatening uh, to hurt herself. The officers responded in, in a pretty intense way. They showed up, I think, about four or five, six cruisers, an ambulance. They kicked her door in, and then they tasered her right in her own house when she was threatening to hurt herself. So to me, it's like when somebody is mentally ill, and and same thing with Chantel Moore, where they were going to go look do a, a wellness check. You know, these people are crying for help. It it doesn't make sense. You don't approach a situation like that. But um, like I said, that with these new recruits and things like that, we're starting to see um, a lot more violent action taken on their end rather than de-escalation or trying to understand the situation. I think coming in with guns ablazing is the is the be all end all for. The solution for a problem powerful statement in the sense that police don't have a relationship with the community uh, they don't try to de-escalate they're coming in and so th- i think that seems to be a, a, a constant theme going forward now uh, you know you need to develop a relationship and build trust with the community that you're you're serving you mentioned your band council program the need for community policing uh, to be brought back and 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 there is a strong push on now uh, as we chatted earlier on about having police seen as an essential service to make sure that there is a legislative base in place for this so that there's adequate financial and human resources so that you can develop a solid community policing service under First Nations jurisdiction. And then your other comment you made about the new members coming in. Coming in, it almost like these words have been used a few times about fear and malice. You know, they come in with that attitude. What are your thoughts on that statement? I think there is uh, there is fear in some of these new recruits because some of them are pretty young, they're inexperienced, and they're inexperienced in um, in in life as well. Training is only so much, right? And real life experience is, is where it's at, and that's that's how you know how you'll react. So, you get somebody that's new, you get somebody that's a new recruit, even uh, new to the RCMP, and maybe even new to. Um, situations where their adrenaline is is pulsing their hearts beating fast and and they're in that uh that fight or flight mentality um you don't know how you're going to react and unfortunately if you're inexperienced you 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 might react and be scared and um 
when you react in fear, obviously you're just trying to trying to defend yourself, but unfortunately you're 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 picking yourself over the other person. And whereas a, a veteran officer uh, um, who who has been in these situations for for many many times uh, can actually think and think logically during the during that time and uh, be able to make the right decision. But uh, like I said, some of the 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 young recruits and especially the new ones that are coming to the to the to the community that don't know these people would have known they wouldn't have had anything to fear with somebody like Rodney, but they, they reacted out of fear. What needs to change to make policing better for your people and our people? We need to do it ourselves. I mean, we cannot rely on uh, on an institution or, or uh, the RCMP at its system, at its foundation is inherently racist and it was based on controlling our people. And I think that's what people have got to understand about um, this whole defunding the police and uh, systematic racism is that the RCMP was founded on controlling us out west and up north until it, mm-hmm. until they got all the, the powers to do it across the country. But um, And the point um, I see a lot of people make is that, you know, there are good cops. Yes, there are good cops. We understand that there are good cops. There, we have good cops here in Sunny Corner Detachment, but... It doesn't matter uh, how many good cops we have. We we have plenty here that we're surrounding these new recruits, and this situation still happened because the system is flawed. It's in, inherently racist. It's foundationally broken, and it has to be looked at and and really torn apart and, and brought back together again to make it work, especially for our people. The system is flawed. We know uh, we talked um, to Commissioner Brenda Lucky on the podcast uh, last Friday morning at 10 a.m., and prior to that dialogue... She didn't admit that there was systemic racism within the RCMP. Uh, but fortunately as well, that afternoon she did recant. And she, she did admit that there is systemic racism within the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. We did chat and, and indicate that that's the first step to dealing with it is by acknowledging that it exists in order to bring change to a system. Because we also talked about, the, as First Nations people, we don't trust the police because... They were there to even pick up kids for the residential schools, you know. Yes. Uh, the police come to take our people away. Uh, the Northwest Mounted Police were set up to protect uh, settlers from First Nations long ago, historically. So the whole idea about building trust and relationships with a police service is fundamental. Uh, but I really want to stress the point you made about need to do it ourselves, community-based policing. Now, this question I have now we know that there are challenges with police forces and with the RCMP. Have you had any positive experience with the RCMP? And is there anything that we can build on? Anything that we can say, hey, this worked. Why don't we try this again going forward? Is there anything that comes to mind at all? Um, there used to be a, an auxiliary program that the RCMP did where they would take a member of, the, of our community that was trying to train to become a band constable. They would bring them out on ride-alongs and bring them to... Uh, to situations on the in the community, and uh, they were really good at um, helping de-escalate situations because they knew the people that they were going to go see under 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 distress or whatever the situation was, and that familiar face of a community member seeing another community member there really helped uh, diffuse a lot of the situations. I'm not sure in the history of why that was. Uh, I think there was an incident with an auxiliary member that that may have got hurt in the past. And that's why they had gotten rid of that program. But that was a positive for sure. We do build positive relationships with, with some of the RCMP officers here after many years, though. You know, they've been here five, six, some 15, 20 years. And 
they have a good relationship with the community because they put the time in and they had mm -hmm. they wanted they had the want and willingness to come into the community and get to know everybody and um, prior to this incident with Rodney these these police they they've never had to do that they never had to pull out their gun on somebody up here and um, mm -hmm. and they'd be the first ones to admit that and it's sad to see some of these officers I've been talking to some of these veteran officers they've been reaching out and I appreciate it but uh, they're beat up over the whole situation too just you know what if they were there then they know what would happen but uh, I do have positive relationships with those with those police and um, I think they understand the problems that we're facing as well and that the, and that the, what they're facing too so uh, there is some good there but it's obviously not enough if things like this continue to yeah, happen. That's a good point. Do you have any other statements or comments you'd like to make in closing regarding anything we've talked about uh, past present future and how we can look at fixing the system going forward as First Nations people? I think that it's not just the First Nations people, it's the surrounding communities and all the other people in Canada really have to open their eyes to what's happening. I'll give you a quick example of what just unfolded over the weekend in Nova Scotia. Um, there was a situation in which a man was in distress in his home. This was a non-native man from what I'm hearing. The RCMP spent three hours with bringing in a, a social worker and an emergency response team three hours to go talk to this man. And to get him to calm down, and then he was then he was arrested and charged. If they took that three hours and spent that time to help mm -hmm. this individual, um, just a few days after, they may have not even spent twenty minutes um, talking with Rodney before they shot him. Mm. So look at those two situations. And apparently, this guy, like if you read the CBC story, this man punched an officer, attempted to to take his service pistol, and they still didn't fire shots mm. at him. And, and he, he was obviously a, a, a much larger threat than Rodney ever would have been, but they took the time to come and try to de-escalate this. So they got to learn from, um, it's either the New Brunswick RCMP or RCMP everywhere have to learn from how Nova Scotia handled that. People got to open their eyes to that, to see that why are they spending all this time helping this one individual, but they're so quick to shoot another, especially when it comes down to this man was Indigenous and this one was non-Indigenous. So... To me, uh, like I said, the general public has to open their eyes to this and realize that this is a real thing. The media isn't just uh, sensationalizing everything. Um, these instances are really happening, and they're happening more often than not. And um, it's becoming a scary time for our people. And uh, there is a legitimate fear within my community, I know that, and in the surrounding communities of uh, dealing with the RCMP right now. All right. Well, Chief, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, thank you for having me. That's Bill Ward, Chief of Metamadagiog First Nation in New Brunswick. I want to thank you all for listening to our Akamemuk podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Give us a rating and tell your friends about us and share us on social media. And as always, we want to give a big shout out to the Red Dog Singers, Treaty 4 Territory in Southern Saskatchewan for providing our theme music. Until next time, I'm Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations.